Hey, welcome in, everyone. Appreciate you being here at the Voice of College Football. This is our weekly show with Corey Bratta from the Hawkeye of the Storm. It's Iowa Hawkeyes Live. We've done it 133 weeks now. We appreciate you being here. Leave those comments and questions. We will address those. Corey, how you doing today? Doing good, Mark. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Uh, we just found out within the last hour that ESPN is retaining rights to the college football playoff. Don't know if you saw that through 2031. I did. I'm not surprised by that. Um, you're probably more into the contractual obligations of these things than I am. Um, but obviously, uh, the the expanded part of that was the expanded playoff, right? Things had to be adjusted with the increase in games. Yeah, so I was taping with Dace today on Michigan Podcast, and it had just broken. I didn't see it. He brought it up to me and said, this just broke, threw it at me. I can't say that I had much to say about it, so I'm not imploring people to rush on over to Michigan Podcast for my sterling words on the, because he just kind of hit me in the side of the face with it. I didn't necessarily have an immediate reaction, but I will credit him for this response. My initial thought would have been that going forward, that with the Big Ten and the SEC really taking over this sport in all sorts of different ways, both in a tangible way and more of an implied way that many people speculate as being tangible soon at some point. I would have thought that there was going to be more and with more games available and with Fox playing into uh, being at the forefront of, you know, of course, the Big Ten's contract, that there was going to be some kind of partnership between Fox and ESPN and distributing these games. Uh, at least those two networks, if not maybe a CBS and NBC because of their uh, part of the Big Ten having, you know, a first round game or something. You know, much like the NFL where you've got your major players, but some of the secondary players still have a wild card game or or two. Uh, that's what I anticipated. Now ESPN comes up, boom, they extend the whole thing. Uh, it's considerably more money, but I guess if you consider inflation and consider that these games are worth more, of course, than the New Year's Six games that they're currently paying for and are part of the contract, it seems to make sense from a financial standpoint. But what Day said was, maybe this is going right along with what we're seeing between the SEC and the Big Ten, them partnering in this advisory committee. And still, this is very vague. It's unofficial and all those things. But that this is all going to be possibly brought together in some fashion where those two conferences are at the forefront of all this. And it's not going to be such a big deal. You know, it's not going to be like the big 10 playing on enemy turf under a different TV brand, possibly in the future. I'm, I'm speculating. He was speculating, but it seemed to, to make sense more, more so than it would have without that, announcement last week between the Big Ten and the SEC. We had a wild card game on Peacock, didn't we? Yeah. A, a and that was and that was one thing that caught my attention. So folks, I just dropped a video. 
And I basically just read the article straight from The Athletic, did a little bit of math, gave a, a few of my insights into it. One being that ESPN announced that they will possibly sublease some of their sublicense some of the games to their other affiliates. And I immediately thought streaming. Right. Yeah. So so my question moving forward on a practical level, because I know some people some people really get into the numbers and the financial aspect of all these things, but it's a good question from Ed in the chat. Well, I will make the playoffs. I mean, maybe we won't predict next year right now, but like in general, the 12 team playoff, uh, we already know that they would have made it in 2015 if there had been a, a 12 to all this 2016 playoff, right? 2015 regular season. They would have made that playoff had it been expanded in 2015. And then in 2021, in spite of how bad Iowa was in, um, you know, offensive statistics, they were, let's see, 10 and three. Would they have made it in 21 technically? Certainly the, the Big Ten championship game would have been a play-in game for them. No, um, I, I don't think they would have. No, they wouldn't have made it at 10 and three. But 10 and three would would put most teams on the border. Right. Yeah. We've talked about this, and I've I've run every season through the 12 team, which is easy to do during the playoff era because we've got the college football playoff committee. So as long as they are interpreting the season the same way, there's our model right there. You can look at any season since 2014 and say, what would this have looked like in a 12-team playoff? Now, prior to that, you, you can speculate, but it's easy to see that 10-2, and two, especially for a Big Ten team, is safe. You're in. 9-3, and three, most likely you're out, but I want to see how well the Big Ten plays going forward. I think they're going to... If, if the league does as well as many of us anticipate, that's going to buy credibility with the committee, number one. Number two, of course, those non-conference games are going to show, okay, who are the better conferences? I can tell you this, not to change subjects even more, but we have. We, I think we're going to have this discussion a number of weeks throughout the offseason, and so be it. I love talking about it, but as it relates to Iowa's aspirations in 24, is it hypocritical of me? to have said in the past that I think the new era of this big 10 conference and, you know, with NIL and the portal and the expansion, it's going to make things harder on Iowa while also saying right now with the roster that's in place for 2024 and the system that will be in place in 2024, we don't know exactly what that looked like offensively. And you combine that with some of the attrition that Washington teams like Washington are suffering from certainly now UCLA with the departure of Chip Kelly I think they've got a really, really, what do I, how do I put this? Um, tedious situation. They're, they're taking a shot at head coach. I mean, this thing could, am I wrong on that? I mean, yes. Are we going tenuous possibly there? A tenuous situation? What did I say? Tedious. What did I say? Tedious, tedious tenuous. Anyway, regardless, not a good situation, not a great trajectory for UCLA football. I agree with you. I just think it's an interesting hire. I, I think it's a really interesting hire, and I think it's a really risky hire. I don't know about enough about the guy to, to be able to, I guess, say that, but as a head coach, someone without that level of experience, I know he's a, a legacy guy, but 
if I was a Bruin fan, especially with this move to the Big Ten Conference, I would want a more proven name as a head coach. That's what I would say. I hope that they didn't make that move based strictly on finances or first and foremost on finances, because there are a number of head coaches that were being rumored as possible candidates for that job. I ran down my candidates for sure, which included a lot of pretty, pretty heavy hitters in the sport. It's not an elite job, but it's a strong job. It's a really good job. It's got a ton of potential. Absolutely. Uh, but they paid a lot less for Deshaun Foster than they would have had to pay for a number of guys with the name of Matt Campbell or PJ Fleck or whomever uh, else we could have thrown into that mix. I, I just, can you explain the move? Have you been able to explain the move other than somehow it's related to financials, even though I don't, can't imagine that they, that, that their financials necessitated a hire like this. I just, it was seem like an odd hire. Yeah. I'm not going to promote myself as being an expert on UCLA's infrastructure, their financials and so forth. But as I understand it, while the school is extremely loaded the endowment huge the school itself the athletic program is in bad shape from a financial standpoint well here's what i'll say i'm going roundabout with this but the discussion on the new head coach is it woodley i always forget his last name woodley at ucla yeah deshaun foster why did i say woodley who am i thinking of i don't know who's woodley Sean <laughs> yeah, Foster. I don't I know what's going on crazy. between your ears, Corey. Like the Sean Foster. Thank you. I know yeah. what the guy looks like, but I thought Woodley. Who is Woodley? Who's Mark Woodley? Mark. Uh, David Woodley was a quarterback at LSU who quarterbacked the Miami Dolphins in Super Bowl seventeen. Right. Just edit. I don't know where that came. Erroneous thought. We'll just edit that out of the podcast. Anyways, Deshaun Foster. So, um. Deshaun Foster, and that's a unique situation. Iowa plays two teams from the new era, UCLA and Washington, both very unique situations. As it was pointed out in the chat, T. Hank brings up the fact that Iowa actually has four teams on the schedule with new head coaches, Troy, Michigan State, Washington, and UCLA. And UCLA and Washington are the two teams that Iowa gets from the West, the West Coast. So, like, I'm not saying that – I'm not backtracking on what I've said in the past about – uh, JT says Mark Woodley is a KWWL reporter. <laughs> hey, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't live in Eastern Iowa, but I must have heard that somewhere in the Twitter sphere somewhere. So, anyways, thank you, uh, JT. But um, I just think those two teams, getting those two teams, as opposed to USC, and I know US, USC is kind of rebuilding that defense. I think Oregon is probably considered the premier prospect out of that four team. Um, group and so Iowa avoids them and you get a team in UCLA that, that I think could look really different and has not been a power of late anyways they're going to look different how different will Washington look we know that they're uh, they lose their Heisman contender quarterback in Michael Penix um, they've lost they've just lost a lot um, and then you'd look at the coaching staff and the attrition there so you know then I I, I go back to you know, Michigan State's on the schedule, a team that was previously part of the vaunted East that Iowa avoided each and every year. And, you know, they get Minnesota, they get Nebraska, they get Wisconsin. 
Wisconsin is going to be better. It's going to be a hard game to win. They do get that game at Kinnick. Um, I, I don't know, man. I just think, man, that's uh, opportunities knocking with the people that they have coming back. And I don't think a year ago I would have said that because I didn't know I didn't know what UCLA and, and Washington were look like. And we don't know totally what they're going to look like at this point here in, in uh, mid-February. But I do think that uh, if I'm this Iowa coaching staff, especially with the idea that, hey, LeVar Woods turned down the, the Buccaneers job. Or I shouldn't say turned down. He was not hired to be the Buccaneers special teams coordinator. That is something that has developed in the past week. Because I think a week ago, it had been reported that he was being interviewed. He was not hired. And I've been given reason to believe that he is going to be at Iowa this year. Things could always change, but it sounds like he's going to be at Iowa for at least one more year. But it's also an indication that he may not be at Iowa moving forward. There's no guarantees of that moving forward as it relates to re- to retention, coach retention. A new OC, you got Phil Parker at least for one more year. You got Kirk Ferentz, and you probably have LeVar Woods, plus all these guys returning on defense. You know, you'd love to have gotten Cooper DeGene back, but it is what it is. You get all these other guys back. You know, if they can figure out quarterback and, and play calling, which I think they got a shot at doing that with a former quarterback as the play caller, then yeah, I mean, opportunity knocks again. Um, what does it knock for? Does it knock for a Big Ten championship? I don't think so. But does it knock for a playoff berth? Absolutely. Because as we've discussed, it's going to be a lot easier moving forward to make a 12-team playoff than it will be to win a Big Ten championship. I am not going to explain Ed's comment. I'm just going to say, with Corey around, you need to keep your head on a swivel. You never know where he's going to pop up. All right. But anyway. This is what I'm going to say about Iowa's football schedule, Corey, because you've heard this before. Uh, I reserve the right every couple times a year to take a shot at Iowa's schedule in this way. This has to be the most interesting. Are you interested? Are you more interested, more curious to see Iowa play some different teams? Then is it not interesting that they're going to play Washington and UCLA? This intrigues me as opposed to the Big Ten West, Iowa State. Yo, oh, absolutely. The non-conference schedule. That's the schedule. I, I Honestly, I don't look at the schedule from that perspective so much as I look at the schedule as what's going to get Iowa to a chance at a Big Ten title. or what's Now I'm looking at it more so through the lens of how many wins does Iowa need to get to a 12-team playoff. And what's been so frustrating is that they have not taken advantage. They've not been able to fully take advantage of that week's schedule. Even though they've won a couple of West titles in the last three years with this abysmal offense, they've not been able to really compete for a playoff spot because – of uh, the offense. So my main focus is how much will Tim Lester change this offense? And it will be intriguing to watch them go up against the likes of UCLA and Washington. And I think as of right now, um, who's favored in that game against UCLA? I believe that game is out there. And then Washington game. Yeah. Iowa, I think is favored in that game. Uh, Iowa, Washington. That's probably Washington because it's out there, but Oh, it's out there. Okay. The both games are out there? I'm sorry. No, that game's in Iowa City. That game's in Iowa City. Iowa. Yeah. So, I mean, just from that perspective, I I am intrigued by the fact that they get new teams in the schedule, but I do think these teams are beatable teams, and they will still make Iowa's resume. They made Washington's not making a national. I think it'd be a shock to everybody if they somehow repeat in the playoff. But, like, 
that will still be a win on the resume that I was like used to your point has not had. Um, Iowa does not have marquee wins. Almost any like this last year, they did not have a single marquee win. They had a couple of decent wins at Iowa state and at Wisconsin, but they got opportunities against really talented programs. Um, not named Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan, who they've gotten trounced by over the last couple of years to, uh, to get wins against and hopefully build a, a playoff resume. And if anyone could possibly misinterpret what I meant by taking a shot at Iowa's schedule, it no, it, it wasn't necessarily from a strength standpoint. It was more from the standpoint of intrigue and surprise, meaning there, it's formulaic in terms of non-conference because they're locked into the Iowa State game to a certain yeah. extent. They're locked into that game. They're not typically scheduling anyone else of note. They haven't since who? Pitt? In 2015, 16, in that range. Well, when did the conference go to nine conference games? That was 17. Was that 17 or 16? 17. Yep. I believe it was 16. I know Ohio State was seven and one in 16 in the conference. Hmm. Okay. I'm trying to figure out. I'm almost positive. I, I could be wrong. I think you're wrong, Mark. Somebody look at it. Am I I'm, wrong? Really? I'm trying to figure out who Iowa would have played as that second non-con power five. It was Iowa State. They beat them. They blew them out in 2016. They did not play. They played Pitt in 14 and 15. 14 and 15. Okay. No. Anyways, uh, yeah, no, you're right. And Iowa State's another good example of a schedule that's been beyond boring for so many years because they've played the same teams in their conference yes. every year without crossover opponents like Iowa has. Now their schedule is a little bit more unique now because you get some of those new former G5 schools yes. and you get the Arizona teams added to the conference. Yes. And if any Iowa State fans are out there, I think it's a really fun league, really competitive league, but I no longer want to hear anything about the Big 12 being comparable to the Big 10. It wasn't before, and it certainly isn't now. You watch. Levi Stevenson will come on here. <laughs> I'm serious. When we get Levi on this show, he will come back on here and talk about how great Arizona's program and how underrated we're, we're discounting the Wildcats and look at how uh, consistent Whittingham has made the Utes. Like, I just, just telling you right now, that's what's going to be the narrative. It's a fun conference. It's a fun conference. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And for the record, um, what Humus Hero or Hummus Hero in the, the chat says, McNamara's health is going to still be the, like I, as much as I think we're intrigued by the the possibility of seeing a lot of RPO, especially with a guy like Marco Lanez who's mobile or James Rezar. James Rezar is going to be a freshman, a true freshman. Marco is a redshirt freshman. Chances are, if McNamara is healthy, he is the starter. So his health is going to be the storyline to follow, and he's not expected to play this spring. So yeah, the development of guys behind him is going to be the storyline in the spring. But then his health, once again, for the second straight year, is going to be the storyline as we hit fall camp. And, you know, hopefully the success of the offense is not totally dependent on that. But, you know, I know he wasn't good this year when he played. He was hurt for the three or four games he played. But, boy, life after McNamara was not too pleasant at that position. And so far, I mean, you and myself and Tom Kickert have talked about the idea of maybe Iowa pursuing another transfer. We don't know who that may or may not be, and they don't have any scholarships to give out right now. They will work through guys through. I mean, I talked about in the channel a week ago, Seth Wallace did go on the record uh, last week, actually, in the sixth, 
last Tuesday and confirmed, as we had had been reported, that Kyler Fisher is another guy who's returning. So Iowa's now up to 92 scholarships accounted for. You only are allowed 85. So they got to get that number down after spring <clears throat> practice. And, you know, what does that look like? I think that's a fascinating conversation we could have, Mark. I don't love tossing players' names out of, oh, I think this guy could transfer, this guy's buried. But I think it's fair to, to talk about position groups. I named linebacker. To me, that's a an obvious one. They have they are going to be loaded at linebacker. All right. They're already you you bring your nucleus back, and, and a lot of people didn't expect them to be able to bring Jay Higgins back, and almost nobody expected them to bring back Nick Jackson because of the whole situation at Virginia. We thought he was one and gone. He comes back, and then they get Kyler Fisher back in the mix. So here's your top three right there, without a doubt. And, you know, then you look past those guys. You got a really talented Aiden Hall who's young and and developing. He'll be a second-year guy. You got two four-stars from the state of Iowa coming in this class, and Derek Weisskopf and um, the other guy's name escapes me. Um, man, I'm, I'm having one of those days, aren't I? Anyways, they got two four-stars in the, in the class of uh, – in, in Iowa's 2024 class from the state of Iowa, and then they bring in Preston Reese, who's also a three-star linebacker from Iowa. Talented group, and um, somebody's going to correct it, I'm sure, in the chat in here in a second. But um, I don't know. They're just going to be really deep there, and you have guys like Jaden Harrell and Carson Shire and Zach Tweet, and you're like, okay, which one of these guys, if any, are going to somehow emerge through that – uh, just murky area. I mean, trying to pursue playing time uh, through that type of uh, top end strength is going to be difficult, especially in 24. And so that when that portal window opens in, in what was it in April, that's going to be the storyline, the position group to follow, I think primarily would be linebacker. Um, and then, you know, moving past that, I would assume they get some attrition at DB, but they got to lose seven guys, Mark. Like somebody's got to, there's going to be guys that either transfer or just medically retire or just walk away from football. That's a lot of people. That's more people than we're used to seeing at Iowa. And guys always leave for something. Thank you, Kelvin. Cam Buffington, man alive. Um, Cam Buffington's the other four star from Iowa that uh, is a part of that class. So um, th- that'll be a position group to follow. And then, you know, after DB, I mean, probably O line. I saw a question earlier. I don't know if we want to address it, um, Mark, but um, find it here. Do you mind if I throw this up on the screen? Sure. This is from, we've got a lot of comments filtering in here. Nate, will Caden Proctor be as big of an impact as us Iowa fans hope? It's a good question. I think the obvious answer, the safe answer is no. <laughs> okay. Because a lot of people don't realize, and Don Patterson's talked about this time and time and time again, a lineman can only block one guy. So like they've got to make this whole line better. And he's an excellent building block. Excellent. As good of a building block as you could hope for. So huge, it's huge, massive, but I don't think we can expect the addition of some five-star phenom who may be in the NFL in two years, the first round draft pick to just come in and make Iowa's offensive line. Tremendous. They were really bad up front with Tyler Linderbaum as a super senior in 2020 or as a senior in 2021 and he is a starter in the league and has been so since day one for the Ravens. Really good center. But that line was abysmal in 21. So you can only block one guy. I don't know if Caden will be on the left or the right side of that line. I expect him to play tackle. And um, I got high hopes for the kid, but they got to develop everybody else across that that front. And um, so I would say no, but as an individual, if you're looking at that from an individual standpoint, I have no reason to think he won't be an impact guy right away. 
I was going to go the Linderbaum route as well as soon as you brought that up. I would be surprised if Caden Proctor is not on one of the first, second, or third team all Big Tens at the conclusion of the season. I think he will be one of the best at his position in the Big Ten and maybe better than that. But that might be a little bit too much to expect this next season, although these kids develop quickly these days. So a sophomore being an All-American is not out of the ordinary, but I don't know that that should be an expectation that he's that dominant. But one of the better at position uh, tackle uh, at that position in the Big Ten and then hopefully beyond that. A couple of years ago, I made the comment, I think it was the – the uh, senior year for uh, was it Jack Campbell, Seth Benson, and uh, Justin Jacobs, and of course Justin ended up transferring to Oregon. But I made the comment heading into that year, I think it was what twenty twenty two, that uh, without really extensive knowledge across the board, I, I made the comment that I I would be surprised if there was any linebacker room in the country that was able to match what Iowa put out there. And I remember you arguing with me on that because you really had a lot of faith in Alabama's linebacker room. Totally understood that they play a different defense at Alabama and use their linebackers in a, in a different way than Iowa use their guys. I think I put Georgia out there as well. Okay. Maybe Georgia, but I think in, you look at that and you reevaluate, like I know pro football focus and some of these metrics that evaluate player performance would say that in 2022, Iowa was maybe the best linebacker room in the country, or at least right up there in the top two or three, and I wonder if in 23, or excuse me, 24, they're right back in that discussion at linebacker. And that's what's amazing to me about when people, I've, I've heard some people kind of critical of the fact that they've not promoted LeVar Woods or given him a huge bump in pay. And I'm not saying he's not deserving, but Seth Wallace is absolutely deserving when you look at his, what he's done at that position, not only um, developing guys for the next level, but just production, college production. Man, bringing these guys back, Jay Higgins and Nick Jackson, Jackson as the nucleus, and they're going to play a lot of uh, four-two-five, which means, hey, we got our cash guy back too, our hybrid linebacker and Sebastian Castro. So, like, man, uh, I don't know. I'm not saying you consider him a linebacker; he's con- more so considered to be a DB's converted safety. Um, I'm guessing you would probably. I'm trying to to read your mind right now, Mark, without knowing every other linebacking core in the Big Ten, I would say they're probably, they've got to be up there at the top, right? Yes. Who brings back more production? I mean, I'm sure there's young talent right across the board at Ohio State and at Michigan, but Michigan loses everyone at linebacker. Their best linebacker coming back is Ernest Hausman, the former Nebraska linebacker who was really good as a freshman, uh, was all Big Ten freshman, then got spot, he, spot duty, got to play a lot, didn't start at Michigan his second year. He's really good, but other than that, they lost. They only played two linebackers at Ohio State and Michigan, and they've lost their best linebackers. Uh, Ohio State as well. Tommy Eichenberg, who was an All-American, he's gone. Wasn't there a report uh, at yeah, some Penn point State? That, yeah, it's wasn't Iowa. There a report at some point um, that Ernest Hausman was possibly going to be re-entering the portal, and I guess that never happened. But wasn't there? Am I imagining that? No. I remember hearing that. You're not imagining it. <clears throat> Which would have been strange because 
Yeah, he okay. transferred to play behind some other guys, and then now the path Another. is wide open that he would be leaving. But they lost their linebacker coach, so maybe that had something to do with it, and their DC. And uh, they filled that role. Pardon me? And the head coach. And they lost the head coach. <laughs> maybe I'll go on a, uh, a mission to find Iowa a quarterback. You've done this before. <laughs> I'm going to find Iowa quarterback out there. Let me ask you this. Do you think Cade McNamara is, do you think that he can be counted on? Do you think he can be counted on to, to take Iowa where they want to go in 24? Outside of the health issue? If no, no, no. Health issue is part of the story. Oh, well, that makes it even more dicey. So it is dicey. That's the, that's the thing. It became, yeah. Do you believe, I know you can't predict health and heck Kirk Ferentz and the doc, Iowa doctors can't predict what's going to happen with these, you know, injuries that he's dealt with, but you know, from your perspective, do you roll with him and just double? I, I know you think they need to get a, a, somebody in the portal, but how invested do you stay with Cade McNamara or how invested are you in, you know, whoever's after him? He seems to have the type of injury that is not a, okay, he fractured his wrist, we fixed it, we set it, it healed, it's done. It seems to be a nagging, lingering, it's a quad, it's a knee, all of that, correct? Yeah, what, what was the, well, he wasn't in an ACL two years ago, and then this past yeah. year, this past year it was a knee too, right? I think so. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's hard. It's, it's impossible to predict. And that's why I like, they, they went after him two years ago and we were all thrilled to death that they did because he fit the picture of what Iowa needed at the time. And we never really got to see things transpire with a healthy Cade McNamara. And, and I'm not saying you, you know force the guy to enter the portal. That'd be stupid. Because he, as of right now, he's by far Iowa's most proven. But he's not even close. There's nobody in the roster that's proven anything, including the guy that I really like, Marco Linez. So he's by far their best option on paper right now. But then you talk about his health and you talk about the lack of scholarships. You're like, man, how do we juggle this? We already got to get down to 85. Do we really, you know, if it comes down to, hey, we've we've managed to get down to 85, but we have to basically cut someone else loose in order to gain some equity at the quarterback position, how do you handle that? I mean, I, I think if you're Kirk, here, here's what I'd be, you know what my biggest focus would be on the offensive side? Obviously, the great thing about having uh, a football team split into positions with position groups is as the head coach, you're overseeing the whole thing. Now, Kirk's going to be primarily working with the O-line with George Barnett because that's his position of expertise. But man, my biggest concern for Kirk Ferentz would be Talking to Tim Lester and saying, look, we have got to figure out a way. We got to figure out this spring if Marco Linez can be a guy of the future. Like I know it's just that's and that's not typical Kirk Ferentz um comfort zone. That's just not what he is. I mean, he's talked about we other quarterbacks have said, and eh, it takes a couple of years to learn the system, which Don Patterson has said is ridiculous, by the way. But um Marco did not get here last spring. This will be his first spring. So asking the new quarterbacks coach who just got in here as the OC to basically figure out a way to 
test the water, that test the Marco Lainez waters and figure out if he can be the guy and, and speed up his development in one spring period, you know, that's quite an ask. But I think that might be necessary because they got to figure out what you're going to be doing after the spring. Because at, at that point, if you don't delve into the, the portal at that point, you know, things can happen. Guys enter the portal and they may stay available, but then the better quarterbacks are off the board. And what, what happens if Cade McNamara you know, runs down the field in a kid's day uh, scramble again and tweaks something. And then all of a sudden you're right back where you were a year ago. And they have not explored life after Cade and Deacon. I, you know, it, obviously I know I'm, I'm kind of circumventing here, but that, that would be my mindset. I, I've got to figure out what we have after Cade McNamara. And that's got to be done this spring because Cade McNamara is not going to be playing. So it's the best opportunity to run these guys against the ones. If they come out this spring in March, and we did get the Mark, the uh, March spring schedule, by the way, Mark, I can run through that if you'd like. But um, if they run Deacon Hill as the one for most of the spring, then we have com- we, we, we still have not a clue of what we're doing. Um, I just cannot imagine doing that, especially with the new system, the new coach. Um Let me pull out this calendar just so I can give everybody, in case people didn't see this, it was released. Um, it was released about a week ago. Somebody sent it to me. So, yes, it uh, looks like uh, spring practice will commence on. Let's see. What am I looking here? March 20th. And will finish on so they start on March. I don't know if that's typical. It, it, it may be. They start on a Wednesday um, as opposed to a Tuesday. So they they practice Wednesday, Thursday back to back week one. And then they get basically Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the following four weeks. And they'll finish up on April twentieth, which will be, I assume, is the open spring practice to finish off the spring season. So March 20th, count down the days, a little over a month away. And you will take at least one opportunity to get down there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look forward to that. Um, I, I, I don't know what to expect uh, by the end of spring. Like I said, uh, it's going to be an interesting spring session because we'll get to talk. I'm assuming we'll get to talk with Tim Lester and um, we still, I, I saw the question earlier from Erica about wide receivers coach, still nothing on that. I know I'll, I've got a lot of, uh, confidence in Tom Caker and his expertise on these things and his sources. I have not been given any information contrary to what Tom has said. And Tom has given indication that he thinks it's going to be John Budmeyer will be coaching wide receivers. I hope that's not the case. I hope that Tim Lester has some say in this and they bring in some guy who's maybe either played the position at the, at the very least or coached the position at the very least. Not a guy who who's done neither, um, and a guy who wasn't really shining as you know in his previous position as I was de facto QB's coach and John Budmeyer. But um, those are going to be positions; to, they're just going to be of utmost importance this spring. And going along with quarterback, they've got a lot of questions to answer at receiver from a personnel standpoint, not just with the the uh, quarterbacks coach, but. You know, you lose Nico Ragaini, who wasn't very good last year. Caleb Brown came in but struggled with a lot of drops. Seth Anderson kind of disappeared as the season went on. Pretty much the typical Iowa receiver performance. Um, But they've got pieces. How much can Tim Lester, you know, get out of those guys? He talked about during his press conference last week, figuring out a way to get your best playmakers the ball. We've heard that that, uh, swan song, so to speak, before. 
but it's actually got to got to happen. So we'll see. Eric is wanting to know if you're going to ask Tim Lester about waist downs. I had that on my list for uh, I had that on my list for last week and uh, didn't get called on. I, you know, it's it's such a specific question. It, it is a a unique. Uh, I think there was a little tongue-in-cheek possibly there. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him, Mark. If I don't ask him in spring, I'll ask him in, at fall. It's just becoming one of the many things that you're known for. <laughs> now, South Bend Hawkeye, uh, he is stating exactly what was going through my mind when you were talking about Deacon Hill. If, in fact, he is treated like the starting quarterback or the primary backup, going into spring and it kind of plays out that way in regards to reps. Uh, Kirk rewards loyalty and experience, which is Deacon just saying, don't be surprised if Cade, if Cade goes down, that Deacon's automatically the guy because he's already done it. Do we know Deacon's going to be here though? Like that's the other thing. If, if they're even considering possibly getting a new quarterback via the portal in the spring, I would think Deacon Hill would have to be on the chopping board potentially or the chopping block, whatever the expression is. Am I wrong about that, Mark? Wouldn't you think he'd be one of the guys that you'd at least be considering, hey, you, Kirk's not going to just take a scholarship away, but at least, you know, the whole, you know, you're probably not going to play here. We'll honor your scholarship, but you're not going to play here. So read between the lines. He'd have to be on the list, right? You can't be pushing young, talented DBs and linebackers and O-linemen out and keeping a fourth or fifth string quarterback who has proven that he is what he is. Not that he can't improve, but he's not the answer. He's not the answer. I believe the way most of these rosters are structured at this point is to uh, contain four scholarship quarterbacks, maybe five. But usually four is the number. Right. At Iowa, it's been four. Traditionally, and you add a walk-on typically. Um, you know, in this spring, because Marco Linez is there for his first spring ball, Cade McNamara will be hurt, and I don't believe James Rezar, he's he's uh, not enrolling until summer. It's basically Marco and Deacon. So they need Deacon this spring. Again, the second straight spring, they need his availability. Um, you know, it would be great if they could have gotten somebody during this last period, but they didn't. Sounds like they were interested in the kid from Oregon that transferred to Tulane, but never got him on campus. And so that's why I keep saying Marco, Marco, Marco. They got to figure out a way to see if if he's the guy, he's the answer, because because that will answer a lot of questions if if they can prove it. Well, they at least uh, in the face of four and five score deficits in the bowl game went to Marco. At least they didn't just. Let Deacon Hill just take all the reps all the way through all the snaps to the end of the game that they actually made a move. Let's see what he can do. They were down 28-0, Mark. Oh, I'm not saying that it was a fair situation for him or a fair evaluation, but at least they changed it up and got him in there, got him some snaps against a good team just to see what he could do a little bit, what he could do. I'll be surprised if there's not a quarterback rolling out of Columbus after spring practice. So they, they might be wanting to look that way. Brown direction. Who? They've got five of them that are all talented. Somebody's going to leave. 
Who do you think leaves, if you had to guess right now? Uh, I think that... Uh, I think... Uh, Lincoln Keenholz, who started the Cotton Bowl, he didn't start the Cotton Bowl. Devin Brown got hurt very early in the Cotton Bowl. He played the rest of the Cotton Bowl. Not a great assessment. He just didn't get much protection, but he's a pretty good quarterback. I, I think he will be a pretty good quarterback, and, and he was highly regarded, a top six or seven quarterback in the country coming out of high school. Uh, T. Hink believes it'll be Devin Brown, who will probably be the backup. He was in the running with Kyle McCord at this time last year and kind of took it down to the wire. So, Well, I was uh, already gotten one guy from Ohio State in the last year with the last name Brown. So <laughs> who knows? And there's much expected of him. Even though I have taken some mild shots at him. Who? Devin Brown or Caleb Brown? Caleb Brown. Well, he is, he's dry. His drop percentage is horrible. It is. It's not yeah. good. But it's, a lot is expected of him. I keep well, hearing about a, that's part of the problem. That's why hiring John Budmeyer as their wide receivers coach would be. I, I just can't imagine why you would do that in your right mind. Do that. Um, you've got to figure they got problems at that position. And it's not just one or two problems. Drops have been an issue. So that's that's got to be that's got to be figured out. Um, I would prefer a former wide receiver that comes in and and works. But you know, Marvin McNutt's right in their backyard. He's an Eastern Iowa guy. He's he's done some coaching, but I I don't have not been given any indication that he's on the list. But uh, I actually ran into. Did I tell you I ran into Marvin uh, at the Big Ten Championship game? Had a brief conversation. Need to get him on the show. He does a, I think he does a, a radio show in Eastern Iowa, but had a brief conversation. Nice guy. I'd never had, never talked with Marvin, I don't believe, in, uh, before. And um, he's a unique guy, having switched over from quarterback and such a talent, such a physical, a gifted guy. And I think could have had more success in the NFL than he did. Sometimes it's just luck of the draw. Things work out, they don't. But um, he would be a guy, boy, uh, you'd have to th think you'd entertain. And uh, do, I, do I bring this up, Mark? Like they right now, Iowa doesn't have, you know, a lot of reason to attract big name receivers, partly because of the history of the program and the, the style of the offense and lack of NFL production. But they got to get somebody who can, I think, go to these some of these more talent-worthy uh, su southern states and recruit like they've done with Liddell Betts, at running back, uh, who's had success down in Florida. Um, Kelton Copeland tried to do that at times, and he got some guys like Quavon Matthews is a guy he got from Florida. But, I mean, bigger names. Jared Bowie was a guy he got. I don't know what John Budmeyer does as far as a footprint. And I understand that sometimes you're, you know, oftentimes you're not coaching with or uh, recruiting with a view to position so much as, as a view to region, right? Each coach gets a region, but who you have coaching the position is important, obviously. And I don't know what John Budmeyer does to, uh, to help the cause there. Talking Hawkeyes with all of you each and every Tuesday, folks, right here at the Voice of College Football. Catch Corey each and every day at uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm, men's and women's basketball, in addition to football, of course, with Corey. 
When are the next games lined up for on the men's and women's side? We got men's basketball tomorrow. They'll take on Maryland. Big game on the road. Probably another must win. They've played themselves uh, with their back up against the wall where they basically got to almost win out to have a good shot at the, at the NCAA tournament without uh, Big Ten tournament success. And then the women play Thursday. A lot of controversy uh, this past weekend yet again with Iowa women's basketball and kind of a hot mic incident with Lisa Bluter. And, of course, I got ripped for even addressing it, which is fine. But uh, we have a video up on the channel about that right now. And uh, Caitlin Clark, likely, almost assuredly, if she plays, she's going to break the all-time scoring record in women's basketball history, NCAA history. So uh, I don't know how we're going to recognize or celebrate that, but uh, we'll have a post-game show, I think, with Kashina Alexander. She'll be joining with me, joining me on Thursday, so that should be fun. So, yeah, lots of lots of good stuff ahead, and I know they're coming off a loss, but they'll be fine. Caitlin was a little bit under the weather Sunday, as was Molly Davis. It sounds like they're both back up to speed, so uh, be a big game against Michigan at home, and then they'll travel for a huge date at Indiana. Um, so yeah, lots of stuff to look forward to this week. Um, I, I I believe let me let me figure this out here, Mark. Um, I'll be guesting. I guess I could put a plug in for this. I haven't mentioned this on the year, but I will be guesting. On a uh, on a radio show from Southern Indiana, the Fair Shake, uh, the Fair Shake with Brian Emmons uh, will be uh, uh, interviewed on Saturday morning, I believe. Saturday morning over the Shake Broadcasting family of stations. So Google that, um, the Fair Shake with Brian Emmons, and because um, that will be we'll be recapping. Caitlin Clark's breaking of the record and then previewing a huge game against Indiana. So uh, people want to cool. go figure out how to listen to that here in Iowa or wherever you're at, go ahead and do that. We'll be, we'll be chatting Iowa women's hoops. I had a bit of an epiphany there, but unfortunately it's way too late that as you were talking about Caitlin Clark, and I just found this out, maybe it was through you that she's coming up on the record. Uh, I'm much more in tune to Caitlin Clark than I ever was before. You spelled her name wrong on Twitter, by the way. You spelled it with a K. It's spelled with a C. And not why. I apologize, Caitlin. (laughs) If she's watching, I truly apologize. I'm not trying to spell anybody's names incorrectly. But uh, that would be the first time I've ever spelled her name. So what I was envisioning, but again, I'm late to the party. Number one, because I usually don't think of ideas like this. And number two... Uh, because I didn't know that she was chasing the all-time scoring record until just a few days ago, and I was bothered by this, not based on her situation, but bothered by this because, as you probably know, somebody was taking great offense to this, comparing that somebody else had played less, and I even jumped into this conversation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're talking about Cheryl, well, you're talking about women's basketball legend Cheryl Swoops, and the issue with what Cheryl Swoops had to say on that podcast a week ago, she was incorrect. Yeah, it was just inf- not factual information, and I don't think she was. I don't think she was trying to undermine what Caitlin had done. She was just not up to speed. She was giving faulty information, and she just got ripped. And I thought Kashina Alexander did a nice job of kind of trying to pour some salt over some of the the uh, upset people out in Hawkeye Nation because there's really, no, I mean, the people taking personal shots at Cheryl Swoops. I don't think she meant anything by that other than she was misinformed. And yeah, I mean, you can be critical of her for that. I was critical of her, but um, 
you know, uh, and then the people that were trying to to make it a racial thing, everything's got to be racial. It's just we can't just talk about what an analyst had to say or didn't have to say. But anyways, I know exactly what you're talking about. And you saw it okay. on Twitter as I did. Yeah, and I responded. And I responded even giving her credit for being – just assuming what she was saying was accurate. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. And I was just simply making the point as she was making what could be a valid point that records can be broken that are compilation statistics like all-time points or all-time this or all-time that, that somebody else could have a better ratio. They could have – uh, set the record in less games, less years, and then have it broken by somebody who played more. And that was her point, although that was incorrect. I assumed it was correct, but still made the statement that doesn't change the all-time record. Caitlin Clark, Caitlin with a C, would still have the all-time record. Caitlin Clark can come back next year and imagine what she's going to do to all those records. Like She's going to completely shatter them. And I don't think... Honestly, she she probably shouldn't do that because they'll add an asterisk to it, even though she broke it in less time than Kelsey Plum needed. But I just, yeah, if she if she comes back next year, my guess is it will never be broken. She'll hold that record for the rest of her life. Would be my guess. I had a point to get to and all that. Now I forget what it was. Anyway, regardless, Erica, thank you so much for the super chat. We appreciate you. Deacon needs to go. That's football. He could be the third stringer. At least he's seen game action, right? Is that fair to say? He's seen game action. That's better than... I guess it's better than where Deacon was a year ago, we hope. All right, folks. Uh, we did promote a couple weeks ago, and we will get to it. We're going to run down the quarterbacks during the Kirk Ferentz era. We're going to run them down. We're going to rank them, each one of us. And maybe if that's well-received, we will continue through. Tight ends would be the obvious next choice to make, but we can do all sorts of positions. I would also like to hear Corey run through the previous year's recruiting classes to get his five years after the fact take roughly meaning we can do all sorts of years, but four or five years away is a, is a good place to start. Uh, just to see who, who broke out that wasn't expected and who was a bust and how it, how it turned out. Not re-rank the individual classes, but rank the classes over the last five years. Yeah. That would be an exciting conversation. Good stuff. All right, Corey. Appreciate you doing this as always. Uh, we've got a channel and a show here because of Corey, uh, but every day it's uh, at uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm. So get on over there. We're talking Nebraska football at 7 Eastern, 6 Central. So uh, Iowa fans, join us there on the Husker channel to talk Nebraska football. Corey, we will see you again next week. Hope everyone can make it on back uh, next Tuesday at uh, 430 Central. Thank you, sir.